Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel South. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's great to have a lot of our worship team and some special guests here today as we celebrate our 30th anniversary. Uh, when I visited the first Calvary Chapel some 35 plus years ago, um, I don't remember thinking, I want to go to a church where massive quantities of the word is going to be poured into my life. I kind of remember going and seeing all these young people that were my age. I remember seeing a bunch of uh, fun events and activities for young people. And I also remember being really comfortable wearing my sweatpants at church at Calvary Fellowship in the early days. And 30 years later, um, I still think we ought to rock the sweatpants. You know what I'm talking about? But 30 years of God pouring the word into our, into our hearts has transformed our lives. And I just want to share a couple quick memories. I remember on Wednesday nights, um, we'd all get together. The kids would come for their, for their worship time and their times in the Word. The youth would come for their worship and times in the Word. And then after the event, we'd all go and hang out at one of, the, one of the fast food restaurants. And the parents were there. The kids were there. Just a tremendous opportunity to hang out um, and centered around God's Word. And one other story, I was having lunch with a brother the other day from church. And he was telling me, he just started coming to Calvary a couple years ago. And he was sitting here in church, and his wife had been praying for him to, to accept the Lord. And after the teaching of the word, he raised his hand and she started to cry. And as I was sitting at lunch, I was thinking, that's our story. God using the word of God to transform lives. And it's a long haul. It's 30 years of not because we have a cool program, not because we have a cool building, but God's been teaching us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And so as we delight in him, let me pray and kick off our time of worship. So Father, I thank you for just the, the tremendous things you've done in our lives over these 30 years. I pray that you bless us, bless our church for the next 30 years, and bless this time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever looked at back at something you've done and said, I can't believe I did that. How did they ever get me to agree to that? Oh my goodness. Well, here's a fun fact about this church is we haven't really had an ongoing sustainable drama ministry other than the pastors. The pastors. I found that out when I came on, uh, on staff. You are the drama ministry. Okay, so you're even going to see a picture in a moment. Maybe you've seen it before of, of uh, Kevin, myself, and a man named Randy dressed up as angels. Anybody seen that yet? We, we did that multiple times, and uh, so we had to give it a name. It, it became the Kevinly Hosts. Kevinly Hosts. That's right. We did one skit where we had died and gone to heaven, the th you know, the three or four of us, as, and, and, and became angels, okay? And so only to come back to a couple's banquet and, and be, or, or be viewing a couple's banquet, banquet where all of our wives were in attendance, and they all had dates, because we had, you know, we had gone. So, and then Kevin, you, I don't know if you remember this, you, you became the angel over football. And, and we caught Kevin manipulating the players at an Apple Cup game. An Apple Cup game. And, you know, so that's probably trying to help out the kooks, is what I'm thinking. Anyways. So, well, uh, good morning. I'm Pastor Paul. And um, I've been here with my family uh, since almost the beginning. And... We were attending Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside back in the day. 
uh, which many of you know is a mega church, thousands of people coming. And so we moved to, uh, up to Kent. When we moved to Kent, we were determined to find the local Calvary Chapel. So we found Calvary Chapel South. And um, it had just been going a couple of years. I remember walking into an ice-cold high school cafeteria. And uh, we sat down on these chi chi little child-sized metal chairs. See, I'm getting to that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's about 100 people or so. And there's this guy up on, on the stage leading worship. You know, we, we just arrived. Pretty good worship, you know, going on. And then after worship, the same guys start teaching the word. And, you know, Trudy and I are looking, I wonder what else this guy can do. You know, we're, just, we're pretty amazed. So I don't know why there wasn't any heat uh, that morning. We could see our breath. Um, but we never looked back after that Sunday morning because the fellowship was very warm. The fellowship was warm. We knew we were loved. Uh, we knew the people loved the Lord, and they were being fed the uh, word of God. So, so we'd like to show you a short video that kind of chronicles the history of the church. And I'm always uh, humbled and amazed as I reflect on God's faithfulness and God's goodness to lead us and provide for us and to continually raise up dedicated people to do the work of the ministry. We would often say, look at what the Lord has done in spite of us, right? In spite of us and the messes that we made. <laughs> for example, some of the evidence that you'll see, I mean, we went from needing to do a complete setup and tear down in a high school cafeteria week after week on Sunday mornings to this amazing facility that you see now, to the glory of God. We went from ministering to a handful of children to one of the largest and fruitful children's ministries in the city uh, that other churches have looked to, even for resources. Uh, we've gone from church picnics in someone's backyard to hundreds gathering at a city park where many get baptized and with onlookers, uh, people looking on. We've gone from Pastor Kevin leading worship on his guitar to many anointed musicians and vocalists leading, leading uh, us in worship to our dearly beloved Sophia and her team today. Can we give thank her and her team? Okay, they're awesome. We've gone, uh, we've gone from supporting a few missionaries who were already in the field to thousands, or excuse me, to dozens of mission teams ministering to thousands, but dozens of mission teams now have gone out to probably every continent uh, on the globe. We've gone from feeding or helping a few hungry and homeless people in the community to thousands who have come over the years to community meals and have heard the gospel. Amen. We've gone from a, a handful of home fellowships to dozens now of small groups who minister to people in so many ways. So the list goes on and on, but let's uh, show you what we have next. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God began building Calvary Chapel South. 
We held our first Sunday service at Renton High School. I remember some Sundays being so cold that we could actually see our breath, but God continued to build His church slow and steady. later we began meeting in a strip mall just outside of downtown Kent. We worked out a lease for a section of the building that we could afford only to find out that the city of Kent would not allow us to go into that part of the building due to exiting problems. We were really really bummed but then the owner Mike Dunn came to me and said I'll tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to give you the front area of the building a much more valuable square footage for the same price and then he said something that stuck with me over the years. Mike said and we're not looking back. In 1999, we began leasing the old Kent Elementary School, where we saw God not only grow the church, but transform us into a church dedicated to prayer and outreach. We have been able to see the ministries like Community Meal, the foster care ministry flourish, We've seen people going to Uganda and Panama and Myanmar. We've also sent Jeff and Sarah up to Anchorage where they planted Calvary Chapel, South Anchorage. It has been awesome. In 2008, we were notified that we would soon have to move out of Kent Elementary. So we began prayerfully and urgently looking for a building to purchase. It wasn't long before we realized that the cost was way beyond us. But then God opened for us yet another door of opportunity to purchase and remodel this old Bally's Fitness Center. And you know what? It is the most exciting and miraculous provision God has made for Calvary Chapel South yet. What was once a run-down physical fitness building, complete with racquetball court and swimming pool and jacuzzi, has been transformed into a spiritual fitness building, complete with the uncompromising truth of the Word of God, the unlimited power of the Spirit of God, and the unpretentious, authentic love of the people of God. I am blown away as I think about what God has done over the years, and I am filled with a great sense of anticipation and excitement as to what God will yet be doing inside and outside these walls. My prayer is that we will be a church that continually invites the Spirit of God to work through the Word of God to change the people of God. That we will be a church that loves the Word of God and loves being transformed by it. That we are a people that loves our community and prays fervently for our community. That we would tap into God's limitless resources and grace and reach out beyond our own human limitations that we will go yet deeper and deeper in demonstrating Christ to those who have yet to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we will be a welcoming church, committed to seeing the family of God grow, committed to loving people, loving God, and creating an environment where those two can meet. Again, I am blown away by all that God has done at Calvary Chapel South and that He's allowed me to be a part of it. 
I am so thankful for all the wonderful people that have dedicated themselves with time and energy into the work that God is doing here. And I'm confident that this is the beginning of a whole new chapter where we will see the good work of God. He will carry it out in and through our church until we are complete in Jesus Christ. So this morning we are celebrating, amen? We are celebrating what God has done in this city and what he's done through this church through, uh, throughout the world. So God never asks us to move forward at the expense of forgetting what he has done behind us, amen? God wants us to remember, not for the sake of our own glory, but to build our faith for what he has yet to do. Also, we want to honor those through whom God has done the work, not to place them on some kind of pedestal, but the Bible says to honor those who have been faithful in leadership, especially those who have ministered the word. So in an age when biblical faithfulness is getting harder and harder to find, we can't underestimate having a pastor who has stayed faithful to the, the word of God, faithful in shepherding the flock of God, and faithful in fulfilling the calling of God on his life for over 30 years. Amen? Amen. Pastor Kevin set the example for the rest of us in so many ways. Uh, Peter wrote to the elders and said, Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears... He, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So, Pastor Kevin, I, I'm sure I speak for all the pastors and staff, board members, past and present, along with all of our wonderful ministry leaders. Thank you for the example that you've set. Thank you for leading with courage. Thank you for teaching the word. Thank you for your faithfulness in prayer. Thank you for pouring into us and passing on to us what you receive from the Lord. And thank you, Charlotte, for your faithfulness. I remember looking at all the responsibilities that Pastor Kevin has had and how stressful things would become. And you could see it on his face sometimes. And then the day would come, he would return to the office, and his joy was restored, his countenance lifted, sanity returned even, whatever. And we realized... He talked it out with Charlotte, the voice, the guiding light. And I thank my wife, too, as I'm sure all the other pastors, elders, board members, I venture to say that we would not be here without them. They are all Proverbs 31 women, virtuous women of noble character and that, whom we can completely trust, women who fear the Lord, and we give them the praise that they are due. They are our greatest gifts. Can we thank them for a moment? Okay, so now we want to take you back to the early 90s to give you a taste of what it was like back in the beginning. Back when my family first showed up, we were there. We needed to see if this pastor was the real deal, down, a down-to-earth guy, one of us. And we learned to appreciate 
his humility and transparency. So let's listen and watch. Well, I learned a deeper meaning of the word humility this week. My insurance company canceled me. Ooh. That's humbling. Three traffic tickets, and they said, that's it. <laughs> I'm praying the Lord doesn't do that. And it's humbling to call up an insurance company and they tell you you can't be insured. You have too many tickets. So finally, I think I've repented of my speeding and wrong lane changes and all those kind of things. <laughs> you guys don't get tickets, right? I really found myself finally repenting of it. It's like, at the time it happens, I just get mad at the policeman, I pay the fine, and I think the cop was wrong to stop me for speeding. But I was convicted as I finally can't be insured unless I'm paying a lot of money. But other than that, it's a real exciting time in my life. <laughs> I'm 37, I'm just starting a family, a church, and we just bought a new home. So life is just beginning at 37. Now my wife's 40, and she had a begin life begins at 40 party. So I'm Maybe I have three more years before my life really begins. I don't know. Is this on? Good. Okay, first of all, I want to say thank you to Garrett and Sophia and all the staff for all their hard work putting this together. This is a major project, and Kevin and I didn't really know. I knew about this part, but that was about it. So I wrote a letter to Kevin. Dear Kevin, 30 years ago, we had our first Sunday morning service for Calvary Chapel South in the cafeteria at Renton High School. Two weeks later, our first son, Trevor, was born. That year, between April and December, there were 12 babies born in our church, two girls and 10 boys. 23 years later, in 2013, when Trevor's first son, Merrick, was born, we had another baby boom. Is that picture? There we go. Yeah. In 1990, you remodeled our first home purchase, or a self-employed printer, as well as being a pastor teacher. In 1992, our son, Brandon, joined our family. In 1995, our church found a building to lease in Kent, and you and our faithful church members remodeled the inside to make a home for our church. Our family moved to Kent to be closer to the church. In 1997, we purchased a lot on the East Hill of Kent, and you spent your free time for nine months building a house for our family while pastoring. At 2,400 square feet, it was the largest home we had ever lived in, and we weren't certain how we would fill up the space, but the Lord knew we needed it. In January 1998, we adopted Kevin's great-nephews, Marcus and Terrence, who were three and five. In November the same year, we adopted their newborn brother, Titus. We were able to bring Titus home from the hospital, and we became a family with five boys. In 2000, my parents came to live with us, so within two years, we definitely were using all 2,400 square feet. <laughs> 
In 2000, the Lord blessed our church with Kent Elementary School as a meeting place. Our faithful church body and you remodeled the gym to be a sanctuary. In 2006, our family moved into a 4,300-square-foot house that you spent a year and a half building while pastoring. Our daughter, Mariah, joined us in 2005 when she was two and a half. So with my mom, Mariah, five boys, three, were, three that were teenagers, and all their friends, we were grateful for the extra space. In 2012, the Lord provided this building for CCS to purchase. The church was blessed to be able to save money by doing the demolition work for the remodel ourselves. So you and our faithful church body did the weeks and months of work to demo the inside of the remodel. I was grateful the city required licensed and bonded workers to do the actual construction because that eliminated the option for you to do it. <laughs> we downsized to a smaller home in 2013 because we only had Titus and Mariah left at home. That move was during the demo for this building, so we moved to a new house that Kevin did not have to build. So in case you were wondering what you were doing all, with all your free time, well, you weren't parenting, teaching, pastoring, going on missions trips, performing weddings and funerals, and the many other things involved in ministry, I wanted to remind you, <laughs> you definitely know how to keep yourself busy. <laughs> Our church family at CCS continues to grow and to be a blessing to us. We are thankful to be in the ministry and to have the privilege to serve God in this way. Like anything, there are easy times and there are harder times. Times when we sit back and rejoice in all that is good that God is doing and times when we just keep pressing on. Through it all, we feel very fortunate for all the wonderful people that have become such an important part of our lives. Kevin, you are an example of what Paul told Timothy, quote, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. I love you, Kevin. And I'm so, so blessed to be on this journey with you. Sorry. Okay. Now, as Kevin comes up to preach the word faithfully, as he has done for the past 30 years, would you join me in appreciating him? Thank you. And obviously, I also want to thank, as Charlotte did, Garrett. Uh, you came on six years ago or so. Has it been six or seven? Six. And you don't know how many? No, you're not old enough to not remember how many. <laughs> seven? That's what seven is? Yeah. Uh, 
it's just been a good ride. Would you say that? 30 years goes by like that. And yet you look at these pictures, you, whatever, wherever you got that tape from, I have no idea. <laughs> you sound like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> but uh, I want to talk this morning a little bit about, uh, from James, I want to finish our study up in James and talk about prayer. Prayer has been something that's been on my heart for ever since, really, I went to a, pa- a Calvary Chapel pastor's conference, and one of the guys that was going to speak, which were usually senior pastors at Calvary Chapels, uh, came out on the, up to the podium and said, I'm not going to teach. I want you to watch this uh, video. And so we watched a teaching from Jim Cimbala of, of, from um, Brooklyn Tabernacle. He talked about my house should be called a house of prayer. And it absolutely changed my life as far as my responsibility and my need for prayer. And so I thought that's, this, this James study sort of lands wonderfully on our, on our celebration today. Um, so anyway, what I was going to say as far as Garrett goes, he gave me 25 minutes. That hasn't happened in 30 years, so I don't think it's going to happen this morning, okay? I'm going to grab a stool here. So go to James, if you would, and uh, I'm going I'm to be sharing from this book a little bit uh, to close the study. This is called the, the Jesus Revolution. It's by Greg Laurie and a, and a woman named Ellen Vaughn. It is an incredible read, very well written. I read it, I, got it op- I opened it up and read it, the whole thing on Friday. So I want to share some things with you because as I was reading them, thinking about what's going on this morning, I thought the, the things that I'm reading here are my prayers as a as a. Uh, believing man of God, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, and who knows what the Lord's got in mind going forward. But some of the things that are in there are a great recap. In fact, uh, the book itself is going to fill in the 25 years before 1990 of the Calvary Chapel movement. And as he fills some of those things in, I'm, I was down in, Cal- in, in the Jesus movement for five years. So I'm reminiscing about things that I experienced in that myself personally, and then I'm reminiscing also about the things that he's talking about. Here's, here's the James outline. Can you put that up there? Here's the James outline for, for chapter 5. It's kind of two, so I stuck them together. We, we need to wait patiently under the cruelty of injustice. Now, this is so applicable for us today. We ought to wait patiently. Un, see, because, look, God's not blind. He sees all corruption. God's not deaf. He hears every cry. And God is not done. Would you say amen to that? God is not done. In fact, with God, it's always just the beginning. His mercies are new how often? He didn't say mercies were new then. Every morning, his mercies are new. And where would we be apart from the mercy and grace of God? Where would we be? So in in this whole letter to James, as he's talking, he says he's not blind. We we also must wait patiently until the coming of the Lord. May I say to you, he is coming again. I got to hear a better amen than that. (laughs) Well, we need to wait patiently until the coming of the Lord. And that is not easy. It requires the perseverance of Job at this point in our lives. And then we must wait patiently. And here's what I want to talk about pray, period. Pray, period. Pray, period. And that's what James says. And he's final, you wonder, well, he's wrapping this whole letter up with pray seven times. Pray, pray. Pray, pray. 
And so as we look at this, this, these verses here, let me, let, let's read them. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? I, I love to do that. And let's go to chapter 5 and verse 9. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, notice that, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's a heart issue. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. God's the final arbitrator in everything. My brethren, James, he has some hard things to say, but he's always putting it in the context of brethren. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of of the perseverance of Job. And seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, this is interesting to me, the, the, the but that transitions. But above all, my brethren, again, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails what? Much Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth, on the land, for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, there it is again, brethren, brothers, sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, And someone turns him back. So he says, anyone among you? Then he says, and someone turns him back. Let him know. Tell him that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It moves us just to read it because we know every time we read it, every time we look at it, every time we think about it, every time we memorize it, every time we're listening, that you are speaking. This is your word, alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we want to open it reverently. We want to open it, Lord, with our hearts open, our minds ready to take it in, but our hearts ready to surrender, yield to your Holy Spirit that we might obey the things that we're hearing. And Lord, in this area of prayer, every one of us, someone said, if you, can, you want to humble a man, just ask about his prayer life. Lord, we bow before you. We know we need you. We know we need to pray and pray and pray. We know we need to trust your Holy Spirit. And we know the word of God is our greatest guide in developing our prayer life. Because it's the truth. It's what you are saying. And if we pray according to your will, we know you hear us. And we know that if you hear us, we have the petitions that we've asked of you. Thank you for that. Please bless now. This time we have in your word, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, go, I'm going to share some observations and applications from this passage. And then I want to share some quotes and thoughts from this book that I showed. I read it on Friday. It's titled of Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn. Excellently written. I think it's a must-read now on my little must-read list. Because to celebrate our 30th year anniversary, I want to include some of the 25-year history leading up to the planting of yet another Calvary Chapel, one of 1,800 or so. In this case, Calvary Chapel South on Sunday, September 9th, 1990. Now, that was preceded by a nine-month gestation period. <laughs> we began to tuck Willa nine months earlier on Thursday, January 4th, 1990. So the outline there for, for James that we looked at. And I, the thing, I want to re-hit this verse 12 because we've heard it. We count them blessed to endure. You've heard verse 11, the, the perseverance of Job. Seeing the end intended by the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But then he says, but above all, brethren... But above all, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other, other oath, but let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And I don't know if he's still listening in and thinking about Job, but somehow I think he might be. Because here's the deal with Job. He was the real deal with God. He wasn't messing around with God. In fact, God even commended him, and it caused a lot of trouble in his life. <laughs> See my servant Job, upright, righteous, loves me, serves me. I mean, he's, he's my example. So I appreciate all the, but I said, okay, hold on. <laughs> Job is an incredible example of perseverance in suffering. In just a short while, he lost everything, including his health and his family. He was the real, doll, real deal with God. And I want to begin, just be the real deal with God. You don't have to fake it. I don't have to fake it. I can be the real deal with God. How do I know that? Because Jesus loves me, and he loves you, and he died on a cross for every sin. Everything you want to hide, he knows. And everything you're trying to hide, he wants to wash away and cleanse it from your life, from my life. It's been 67 years of life on earth. I know nothing as deep as the forgiving mercy of God. The healing mercy of his grace and mercy toward me. And thank you, Charlotte, for sticking it out for 35 or whatever years it's been. Simply be a person of your word. Just be true to God. Walk humbly with him. He will transform your life because the truth sets you free. We can't free ourselves. No slave can free himself. But if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so the thought that comes to me in, our, in the time that we're in is don't add to my angst by trying to somehow convince people of my integrity. It's interesting in the book of Job. He had four what he called miserable comforters. And they had these debates. And as far as I know, Job didn't convince them any differently about their opinions. And then God showed up. <laughs> and when God showed up, he cleared the air. But first, he did that by talking to Job. And Job had to repent. Because he realized his God was too small. 
And so God called him out, but then he went to his friends. And you know what he said to his friends? He said, you go to Job and have him pray for you. You have him pray for you. And so could that be the transition that we're, that we're seeing here when he says, is anyone among you? Well, yeah, there's a lot of people among us. All over the place. There's a lot of anyone's. But he says here, there are three prayers. Three who, as an example of praying. There's those who are suffering. There's those who are cheerful. And there's those who are sick. I think that kind of wraps up humanity. The experience of a relationship with God does not negate these things. It makes them meaningful because God, God, like with Job, God is going to show up. I say amen. Now, that may be a reproof to my smallness in my God, but thank God for the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every son whom he receives. If without chastening, you don't know God. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been, what, trained by it. I say, Lord, train on. <laughs> train on. This, so you have suffering, cheerful, and you have verse, uh, is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. Pray over them. Cover them in prayer. Prayer is what they need. They're sick. Pray. And it says there, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Now that anointing could either be the physical anointing, which is the word that's used here, medicinal. But the word is also used in the, area, in, in the idea of a spiritual, ceremonial, sacred of oil. Which just reminds me, God uses both medicines and prescriptions in prayer. Both of them. We dare not separate those out. He uses doctors. He has ways of dealing with things. But don't separate that out from prayer. Pray for those who are sick. God uses medicine. God uses doctors to bring healing to our bodies. I'm thankful for those. Here's a trivia at the beginning of the Jesus movement in 1964, Mary Poppins umbrellaed in with this line, just a spoonful of praying makes the medicine go down, the medicine go down. I'm kidding. It's, it's sugar. But let me say to you, prayer is sweet. And when someone is prayed for, we dare not minimize the sweetness that is to someone because all we're doing is we're standing before God. We're saying, God, would you touch this person? Would you touch them here and touch them here and touch them here? And we need to call for one another to pray with each other. Now, there's one prayer we see in James here. It's the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the sick. How do you pray? How is your prayers? Are you praying, believing God is faithful? Are you praying, believing God is listening to you, that he cares, that he understands? See, that's a, a, a needed reminder. When we're praying, we're not praying into dead air. We're praying life in our relationship with God. That's what's happening. 
It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Isn't that a great passage? Great little phrase. Elijah. Now, Elijah's the man. He calls 450 prophets of Baal up on the hill and says, oh, yeah, Who, who's God? And he has this tremendous victory over the prophets of Baal. Because they were serving Baal. And Ahab was the king, and he was wicked. Jezebel, he married his wife Jezebel. She was more wicked. He has this great victory in prayer, in calling God down. And then he hears, Jezebel's after you, man. So Elijah was a male nature. What's he do? He's out of there, Jack. <laughs> He's gone. He's running for his life, afraid of Jezebel. Is that not humanity? Is that not our nature? God does something incredible, and the highs and lows can be just that stark. So Elijah was used by God to do great things, but he was also a man who understood his need for God if great things were going to happen. He called down God, and the fire came. Not some magic charm. He called God down. And as he's running for his life, as the story unfolds, he's fleeing Jezebel, scared, feeling sorry for himself and wishing himself dead. In fact, I think this story, I don't know if you would think this, I think this is one of the biggest pity parties in the whole Bible, is Elijah. Now, I'm saying that because I know what I sound like. Oh, oh God, I'm the only one left. Listen, the truth is frail people are the source of every fervent prayer. They are. When we find ourselves needing only God, we understand he's the only one we need. God shows us in our frailty in order that he might stir us in our fervency. For him. For him. That's prayer. When you have nothing but God, you realize you need no one but God. He prayed earnestly, would not rain. It did not rain on the earth for three In other words, he stopped nature. But then he got it going again. <laughs> then he, up, he restarted nature. How? He prayed to God. Because God's the one who's over all of these things. When it says he prayed, I mean he prayed in his prayer. He prayed in his prayer. Or in praying, he prayed. In other words, there's an urgency, a fervency, effectiveness that's coming. Listen, Elijah was no different than you and me, and we are no different than Elijah. We can pray like Elijah prayed, but keep in mind, Elijah was desperate. His feelings fueled his fervency in prayer. Feelings are not wrong. Feelings are good, given by God. In responding to them, we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit sort of over us 
that we're taking those feelings in a fervency because we know we need God. Have you been in the presence of someone who's praying fervently like that? It's almost uncomfortable. I think of Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here's this mom. She just wants to have a kid. Just wants to have a child. And she's so upset and so in anguish that in the temple there, she's crying and all she can do is She's just so distraught. All she could do is mouth. And, and in her heart, she's pouring her heart out to God. And, you know, well, you need to go sober up. You know, God help us in seeing brokenness and fervency from thinking in our minds the same thing. Say, oh, no, 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 I'm not drunk. I'm pouring my heart out to God. The priest said, you have your prayer. You have your request. And Samuel, little Samuel was born out of anguish and weeping and tears. I think of Jesus in the garden. Our Savior was so under the intensity of a battle for our souls. It says he prayed and his sweat became like drops of blood. So intense, more intense than we can ever even imagine. Hebrews says he, he, he poured out his soul earnestly and, and, and it, was so, it was so intense physically. Drops of blood. You know why he did that? Because he loves you and he loves me. That's why he did that. Then I think of my Savior as the intercessor of my soul. He's up there interceding for you and interceding for me. How can we lose? We can't. But let the fervency roll. Let the fervency come out. Let us give to God these things. So what of our passion in prayer? What of our fervency? What's happened? What's happening? Are we too afraid? What others might think. Are we too proud to really let it hang out? Are we too complacent with a mediocre spiritual life? Are we too satisfied with the things of this world? These are searching questions that I hope we'll all take to heart. Because there's a fervency that comes out of a relationship that is intense in its love and joy and peace. Elijah was a man, prayed like we do. He prayed again, and the heaven gave its rain. He didn't stop praying. His fervent again prayers put an end to the famine and all that. Go- and then he dealt with Ahab, also this wicked king, because he prayed. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Is he still thinking about Elijah? Maybe. Because Elijah dealt with Ahab. And God was going to be gracious to Ahab, this wicked king. And God was ready to show him grace and mercy. But he went right back into the arms of Jezebel. I wonder if that's maybe. Brother, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, let him know that he, from the truth, and someone turns him back. Let him know. Let him know. That he who turns a sinner from error of his ways 
will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Wow. See, prayer, people need our prayers. People need us to pray for them. And not to minimize that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And Paul then says, and pray for me that I may have boldness to open my mouth to declare the gospel. In Ephesians, same passage. Paul's saying, pray for me. Paul the apostle, we need to pray. Oh, yeah, you need to pray for me because I'm up against it just like you are. I'm a, I'm a man just like you. And I need prayer. We need prayer. And we need to re-up that understanding that people need our prayers. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I pray for you that your faith fail not. Satan is out to destroy us. Do not minimize that. Don't sensationalize it. Just understand it's true. And we need to pray. And ask God, praying, knowing that Jesus is always praying for us and wanting us to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He wants, to, he wants to lead us in victory over all the things that are up against us in this world and in this life. And let me say this, when we stand before him in eternity, there's only one before whom we're going to bow. The same one we bow in prayer today. It's him, the Lamb of God, among the elders and the four living creatures, and the myriads of angels, thousands and 10,000 times and thousands angels, and we're going to be there, and we're going to bow before him and say, you are worthy. Because you redeemed us from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign forever. I mean, that should help us to say, pray like Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is never to get our will done on, in heaven. It's to get God's will done on earth. So again, I, I, I want to, how am I doing, Garrett? Great, Great? okay, good. Because <laughs> this book, I, I, well, it's up there, right? Can you put that book up? There you go. I, I'm, I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, now, this book came to our attention because of the, we're doing that training, by the way, in, the, in our training class. What do you call it, training Program, yeah, um, which we started just yesterday. Fifty people, way more than we ever thought, and we're we're connected with Western Seminary. And I've been, I've watched most of the classes now, a lot of them. Most they are so good, and you know what makes them good? Those professors are down to earth, honest, real people, and you just listen to them and listen to them and listen to them. And then this book is a part of our curriculum over the next year to read this book. I sat down Friday, opened up, read the whole thing. So I want to share some things from you because as I was reading, I'm reminiscing about my five years in the Jesus movement down in California. I moved also, my, my, I'm thinking the whole way through it. Listen, I'm thinking these are my prayers for my own life. Now, they weren't necessarily in the context of praying, but I read these things, I'm thinking, wow. And it's also my prayers for our church. Now, someone said I'm going to have 30 more years. I hope not. <laughs> so let me just give you these. And, and the reason I'm, I share that these, that something of personal substance will move you and become your prayer. Maybe of repentance or a new awareness 
or maybe the beginning of a new conversation with God. Listen, God's not done. God is not done. He's not deaf. He's not blind. But listen, he's not done. So here we go. You up for reading some stuff with me? Right out of the gate, chapter 1. What was it and why does it matter, title? There can't be any large-scale revolution until there's a personal revolution on an individual level. It's got to happen inside first. You know who said that, unquote? (laughs) Check it out. Jim Morrison of The Doors. And then this one. A true revival means nothing less than a revolution. Casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumphant in the heart and life, unquote. That's Andrew Murray. C.S. Lewis. It is simply no good trying to keep any thrill. Let that thrill go, and you will find you are living in a world of new thrills all the time. But if you decide to make thrills your regular diet and try to prolong them artificially, they will all get weaker and weaker, and you will be a bored, disillusioned old man for the rest of your life. It is because so few people understand this that you find many middle-aged men and women maundering, which I looked up means talking in a rambling manner. They're rambling about their lost youth. At the very age when new horizons ought to be appearing and new doors open all around them, unquote, C.S. Lewis. God help me. From the book, it was not humanly orchestrated, this Jesus movement. Revival doesn't start with church consultants. Revival doesn't start with programs. To put it in hippie language, Chuck Smith didn't sit down and plan a, quote, happening back in 1970. And neither did Jonathan Edwards in 1742. The Spirit of God started something. Others recognized it, responded in obedience to what God was already doing. Quote from Bob Cook, Youth for Christ. If you, ex- if you can explain what's going on, God didn't do it. I love it. I love it. Beyond human invention. For some, again the book, for some, the Jesus movement was a passing wave or a fire that soon went out. It was a non-sustainable cultural anomaly. Now, I will say to you, now this is back in 1976 when I was down there from 76 to 81. And I can tell you that many of my friends from those five years are no longer walking with Jesus. There are wrecked marriages and wrecked families. I know one particularly close brother to me whose sons have been imprisoned. Painfully messed up. In my naivety, in my zealous naivety, there it is. <laughs> I didn't think that would ever happen. Whoa, this is so cool. This is how, look what's going on. But then you start to see it's not only amazing, it's very messy. Because God's dealing with sinful people. And unless we lock in with Jesus and lock in again with Jesus and lock in again with Jesus. In fact, I will, I will tell you a little thing that just came to mind. I'm on a plane with Pastor Wayne Taylor going to Japan. I, I think you guys were there at the time. I'm in the front seat with him, and I said, and this is before this started, but it was in the, it was in the works. I said, Wayne, I, I don't know the Bible like you know the Bible. I, you know, I, I felt ill-equipped. In fact, I tell people God tricked me into this whole thing anyway. <laughs> you know what Wayne said to me? Wise. 
He said, well, maybe that's why God's got you to be a pastor. Because now you have a responsibility to learn the word of God. To put it into practice. To live out what, we, what I say. And but by the grace of God, there go I. There go I. Bill Bright said, let us not be satisfied with the religious mediocrity of our age, unquote. From the book, but for unaccountable numbers of baby boomers, so there's some that are passing away, but for uncountable numbers of baby boomers, the Jesus' revelation was a pivot point and everything was different afterward. The sustainable legacy of the Jesus' revolution, something we can all learn from, is the lives of those for whom it wasn't just a golden 70s experience that passed, but an ongoing re- reality, notice, rooted in the word of God and in a healthy local church. He goes on. That's how it was for Greg, Greg Laurie. The center of the Jesus revolution for him about 1970 was not starlight, rainbows, or a mystical spiritual circus. It was a decision, which he talks about in the book. Am I for Jesus or against him? That's the decision. Then having decided that he was for Jesus and got saved, the new life wasn't static. It was a journey about learning how to grow up in Christ about an ongoing revolution of being transformed by the renewal of his mind. It was a partnering with the Holy Spirit. It was all about grace. At the same time, it involved work. Daily life, I love this sentence, daily life was built on practices that were as ancient, (laughs) I love this, as ancient as they were revolutionary. What are they? Worship. The study of the Bible. Prayer. (laughs) Fellowship and evangelism. I say, wow. We can do that. We can certainly do And that's when we, when we engage in that, the work of God leading us to do these things, what happens? He works through us. Robert, I remember in your office, this came to mind again, you said, help me not to love the work more than I love you. It's something like that. A little thing you had in your office down in the printing shop. Now, years before Chuck died, Pastor Chuck, Greg asked him if he thought there could be another Jesus revolution. I don't know, said Chuck. Back in the 60s, people were desperate. Unsaved people were spiritually hungry. They were searching for God. I was desperate too, desperate to be a part of what God was doing. So I guess the question for today is, are we desperate enough? God grants revival to those who have a certain desperate hunger for him. That desperation is sometimes hard to come by in America because it is the opposite of self-sufficiency. I love it. It's hard to come by because we are so self-sufficient. Again, I hope this is stirring you just in your heart, where you're at, where you're going, what's going on, what's going to be happening. Chaos and desperation are far more likely to lead to revival than comfort and complacency. That's true in all the celebrated revivals of America's past. I love this. This I got a few of them here. This is a great one. An, An Anglican bishop, they don't even give the name, Everywhere the Apostle Paul went, there was either riot or revival. Everywhere I go, they serve tea. <laughs> Isn't that great? Chapter 27, the next to last chapter, it was titled, Cultural Christianity is Dead, Rest in Peace. J. Edwin Orr, who is a revival specialist, said, Little by little, the church loses its grip on essential things, becomes a social club, goes to sleep, goes to sleep, or flies off on a, at a tangent, they're engaged in a bewildering variety of pastimes, anything but the real thing, unquote. 
So faith becomes churchianity, seeking growth for growth's sake, a drift towards style over substance. Sermons designed for short attention spans take precedence over the transformational power of the Word of God. First, uh, page 240. If we produce consumers instead of communers, we end up with customers instead of disciples. John Wesley said, quote, I continue to dream and pray about a revival of holiness in our day that moves forth in mission and creates authentic community in which each person can be unleashed through the empowerment of the Spirit to fulfill God's creational intentions, unquote. <laughs> Listen, it's a desperate reliance on Jesus. It's a desperate desire for wisdom and direction and strength that comes from God. It's a desperate need for Jesus to revive us, to move us by the power of the Holy Spirit in our, listen, ordinary human lives. Close with this. Toward the end of the book. Let's not get wigged out <laughs> about culture wars or the increasing marginalization of biblical Christianity. This is a time, like all errors on our planet, of great opportunity. Now, I will be honest with you. You know, I lost, I had these seasons over this last year where I've just lost it, just emotionally and fervently. I'm just thinking, it's been difficult. It's been difficult. And I'm sure many, if not most of you, understand exactly what I'm saying. And sometimes I, I tire of the word revival. Let's have a revival. There's a, woo! That's not how revival begins. Never has and never will. Revival begins when we are desperate for God to do something because we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a desperate need for Jesus to come into our lives in a fresh, every fresh morning with his mercy and grace. And the relationship that we long for is not with others first, it's with God first. And someone said if that, horizontal, uh, that vertical axis of you and God is in place, the horizontal will fall into place. Not easy. We live in a fallen world. It's messy. I get that. But there's something that we need more desperately than anything else, and that's that vertical relationship with God where he is working us both to will and to do what pleases where he who began the good work will complete it until when the day of Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's not done. He's coming again. But, Lord, I say work on. I, someone said we ought to put a finger on uh, Please be patient. God is at work. So let's not get wigged out. This is time like all eras, our, all eras on our planet of great opportunity. The upheaval actually combines an odd blend, and I, found, I find this. Do you find this? An odd blend of cynicism and longing, of ugliness and beauty, of despair and hope. Read the Psalms. David understood that well. And one thing we know, Jesus looks upon our world and loves its people. 
His holy affection floods toward all, every tribe, nation, individual on this terrestrial ball. And he calls those who follow him to be the visible manifestation of his love and his truth. That's a challenge we cannot meet without humility, personal and corporate repentance, and the fresh wind and power of his spirit. So I leave that with you as a, that, that you might just take some of these things and pray and ask God. Because unless someone said, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the watchman watches, unless the Lord watches, we're watch, we need Jesus like never before. And the older that I get and the more years I walk with the Lord, and anyone will tell you this who's walked with the Lord, he becomes more precious. And he becomes a greater, greater, greater merciful Savior to rescue me from all of my messiness. He does it. He'll do it. He'll do it individually. He'll do it in marriages. He'll do it in families. He'll do it in business settings. He'll do it in our church. So, Lord, we bow before you. The Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. We bow before you, Lord, and say, what would you have us to do? How would you have us to live? What's on your heart? What's on your mind? And, Lord, we want to have ears to hear what you're saying. And so we just close this out and say, Lord, here are our prayers that we want to be those who are (laughs) so in love with you that nothing can compete with it. Nothing. Please, Lord, it breaks our hearts to think that we meander so often. But it thrills and comforts our heart to know that you are the great shepherd. Even in Revelation, you will shepherd them, lead them to fountains of living waters. That's what we long for. So please bless this next coming season for our church. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Robert and Kim. So I was saying that the Lord kind of tricked me into this. Charlotte, come on up. Um, we were in Japan. <laughs> Do you remember this? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we were in Japan, and it was Robert and Kim, Charlotte and I, and also Rob and Joni Dingman. And we're reading a book called Harvest, which is a, a book about the about, I think it's about 10 guys or maybe 12, that Jesus, that Jesus first raised up under Pastor Chuck. And they became, Greg Laurie was one of them. Uh, who else? Greg Laurie? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> and so we're reading that. At the end of the book, the Harvest book, which, by the way, we have there if you want to read it, um, he gives the principles of Calvary Chapel. And so we read that, and we're in this van, jammed into this van going around Japan, and Robert gets this idea. We need to start a Bible study in the South End. Because we're all going to Calvary Fellowship, which was up in Wallingford. And so Robert said, you teach, I'll play worship. And that's how it kind of began. But then the Lord had a different idea in mind. So Robert and Kim went on staff with Wayne, and there we were. That's why I say the Lord tricked me. (laughs) Hindsight is not God so wise and so good. You look back on your... And the things you're praying for, the things you're thinking that weren't what they were, but you see what God did in spite of it and because of it, you go, thank you, Lord. So um, 
What are we supposed to be doing here? Pardon? You're going to do the well, song? We're going to sing the song and then pray. Okay, okay. We'll come sit. You can come sit. Song first. Wow. Little did we know, traveling in that little van in Japan, passing around the book Harvest, um, that this, this lay in the future. You know, I, I, it, you know, God speaks to us. He's a living God, right? And it put it on my heart that, look at these guys. They're just normal guys like Elijah doing these amazing things. That's what the book Harvest is like. It's, it's telling stories from the Jesus movement about normal guys from all walks of life. They taste the Lord. They're revolutionized by the love of God, and they go out and they start to build the kingdom of God with great success. And, and so Kevin and Charlotte were our dear friends, and we lived together. And, and roommates, yeah. And roommates, housemates. And then they, then they bought the house two doors down, and we were blockmates. Sounds like a prison thing. But we were just living in the same hood. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was an evangelist. That I knew. But to start a church, that, that the, the sense I had, we're living in South Seattle. Our church is in North Seattle. We need to start a church down here. And we need a pastor to do that. And that's when I came to Kevin. I said, you, being Kevin, as you all know, Kevin, if you've been here for a while, destined to be a pastor. And you, you just your love for God and your love for the Word of God. And, and it took Kevin a long time to, to get on board. I don't know if you remember, you, you said, let me pray, period, pray, period, <laughs> pray, period, about this. And at a certain point, I mean, this took... A long time, and I realize now that what I'd asked him to consider was to give his life away. Yeah. Not to be a hireling, but to be a shepherd. That's to give your life away. So it's a lifelong ambition. Kevin, would, would you do it? And, and finally, uh, of course, he said yes. <laughs> and... Uh, you are so blessed. I hope you know that. I hope you understand. You've, you've got the best. God has given you the best. So I thought I'd like to end just with Robert and Kim, Charlotte and I just praying over our church. So would you stand with, with us and let's just come before the Lord in prayer. We'll close. Should we get Kevin in the Should we do an order here? Middle? Oh, are in we the middle? What are we doing? Are we all praying? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would like you to pray. Yes, Jesus. And you have been so good. So good. Yes, Lord. Would you bless this place, these people, with a renewed sense of your empowering spirit of truth? Holy Spirit, come and fill each of us. Yes. Lord, we need you. I pray yes, you would Lord. fill Charlotte and Kevin and all the staff members and staff spouses with joy, anticipation, yes, Lord. Um, vision, delight, 
goodness between them. Would you bless all the relationships on staff, between people that just work together here, that the unity of your people would astound the neighbors? Yes, Lord. That the unity and delight they have in each other would blow even our own minds. Would you bind the enemy? Yes. Would you set your warrior angels of, of uh, fierce power around this place and fight in the unseen realm on their behalf? Do it, Lord. Lose your power. Do a new thing. Yes. Keep doing the old yes, things. Lord. We need you, Lord, and ask it in your mighty, beautiful yes, name, Lord. Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your love that is abounded to us. Thank you. And uh, this is just such a weird season that we're in right now, as far as even ministry and what ministry is even going to look like. The things that you've allowed us to do in the past, which have been such a blessing, are not able to happen right now. And uh, so we're asking for renewed vision. Yes for what you would want us to do and how it should all look uh, in the future. But in the meantime, I pray for each individual of us that we would be ministering and encouraging to those who are life touch every single day. Because yeah. those are the ministries that you've given us. And we do pray for the uh, world and for the area of Kent that you would continue working there. But we know that the place that you've given us to minister right now is right where you've placed us. So I just pray that we would be focused on that every day and open to hearing to your your voice and what you would want us to be doing in the lives of the people that our our lives touch every single day. Lord, I uh, so encouraged and inspired this morning as we've worshipped you through your word. You're coming again. Yes. You're not done. We have a destiny. And, and we think of people like Wesley mentioned today and Jonathan Edwards. They were part of a movement we call the Great Awakening, a spiritual revolution in the early Americas, in the 18th century. In the 19th century, people like Charles Finney brought what they called the Second Great Awakening. He preached in a town, and for a year, they closed the jails because there was no crime. That's incredible. And then in the 20th century, we have things like the Jesus Movement. The Spirit of God revolutionizing uh, critical mass of men and women. Mm. And now there's us in the 21st century. And we believe you for another great awakening, Lord. Lord. Make us as desperate as we need to be to, to pray, 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 and believe you for great things. And use Calvary Chapel South. I'd like to say for another 30 years, but Maranatha, Lord, (laughs) come quickly. That is our prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. And we, again, we stand before you, the only true God. We stand before you as our great high priest, intercessor, 
the one who we think of the Holy Spirit making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. All these things, Lord, in knowing you and loving you are, are literally out of this world. Just beyond anything that we could have ever even begun to make a way to, to see it happen. So, Lord Jesus, we bow before you who died on a cross for our sins. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. And we bow before you, worship you. It's your church. And you said you would build it. So I pray you'd give us ears to hear. I pray you'd give us a, a yielding to the Spirit, whatever time you give us, and that, again, Lord, you'd be glorified. That's our prayer. Be glorified in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.